Good morning, Outlook family. Good to see everyone this morning. If you're uh, with us online, we're really glad that you're here. I'd urge you to say hey to your host. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Let us know you're with us. We, that would be a blast for us and everyone here in the room. It is good to be together. I want you to grab one of those postcards uh, next to you. You probably saw one on or near the chair you're sitting in. Those are for each of us, to t- and take as many as you want, to invite, you heard Zach talk about the fact that Easter is just two weeks away. We are praying big time that we would see and meet lots of people this Easter and get to tell them the good news about Jesus, that all of us would be encouraged in celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And so I would encourage you to take as many cards as you'd like and use them to invite friends, neighbors, family members, co-workers and say, would you come to church with Easter, to Easter, (laughs) would you come to church on Easter Do it better than I just did it, okay? I have full confidence you can do that. Would you like to come with me to church this Easter? I'd encourage you to use as many cards as you want there to invite folks to church. Would you do that? Great, great. I hope you will. I hope you will. Well, let's dive into our sermon this morning, and I'm going to begin with a fun fact. Did you know that as soon as Christians could start building their own places of worship, they often built them in the shape of the cross, and more and more so as time went on. This type of architecture came to be called cruciform architecture, obviously from the root word crucify or crucifix or crucifixion. This choice to build church buildings in the shape of the cross made the very fabric of the church and life in church the symbol of our faith in Christ crucified. People wanted to abide and dwell in, quite literally, abide and dwell in the cross. And the idea, if you think of ancient times or even medieval times, the idea that if God's in heaven looking down, that he would look down on your city and see the cross right there from his point of view, so to speak. We know that God isn't just sitting up there looking down on us. He's, he's far, far more with us than that. But you get the idea. And it's a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful symbol. It's a beautiful approach, this idea of abiding in the cross, even in our church architecture. Why would someone want to do that? Because God did something so amazing through the cross The Romans had devised it as a torturous uh, means of execution. But Jesus repurposed it as the means of our salvation. We're going to spend today and next Sunday focused hard on the cross of Christ as we prepare our hearts to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Today we're going to look at what the cross tells us about God reaching out to us, and next week we'll look at how the cross then shapes our lives in God. There would be no empty tomb without that rugged cross, no new life without that sacrificial death. I really appreciate the J.B. Phillips translation of 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says, The preaching of the cross is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, The preaching of the cross is, I know, he says, nonsense to those who are involved in this dying world. But to us who are being saved from that death, it is nothing less 
than the power of God. What we're about to participate in, the preaching of the cross. And I hope you know that we see this event, these few minutes every Sunday at all. This is a, a communal event. The preaching event is something that we're all a part of. We're praying for it. We're all, whether we're the one listening or the one speaking, this is a group activity, you and me. The Holy Spirit is translating his word into all of our hearts. It is a supernatural event that happens every Sunday. And this, the preaching of the cross, is a supernatural, powerful thing. This message has, for the last 20 centuries, been the most revolutionary message that humankind has heard and continues to hear, is hearing today. It solicits both reception and rejection. But make no mistake, what we're doing in these next few minutes is a supernatural, powerful thing, the preaching of the cross. Christianity is unique among all religions, for it is about God's pursuit of us to draw him to himself. In every other religious system, people pursue their God, hoping that through good behavior or the keeping of the right rituals or good works or other efforts, they will be accepted by that God that they pursue. Or maybe even without a God, they've accumulated enough good karma, perhaps, to allow them to reincarnate at a higher consciousness. In all of these systems, in all of these pursuits, one question, though, man, it still hangs there. It still looms. How good is good enough? Christianity answers the question this way. Jesus tells us, only I am good enough. God's answer to us is that we'll never be good enough. And in a way, it takes the pressure off. It might sound bad at first, but then we begin to realize, no, he, he is the one who's good enough. That we begin to see that the world really is split into these two categories. Those who are involved in this dying world, which is any of us, before we said yes to Jesus, amen? Any of us, all of us, we're here. And maybe you still feel as though you are. You're in the right place today. I hope you listen to this message of the cross. Or we can be those who are being saved from that very death. Rescued by what Jesus has done. See, here's the sitch. We humans are separated from our creator by sin. Sin is essentially our desire to be the Lord of our own lives and ignore God. It is a posture of selfishness and pride long before it's ever a list of behaviors. And this is a reality, but it's not the whole story. God wants a reunion. Something significant has to happen to make that possible. That brings us to the cross. So here's our main idea today, and we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking it. Jesus bore the cross to absorb our death so we may be redeemed and reconciled to God. Let's unpack this in the next few minutes. First, Jesus bore the cross to absorb the death coming for us. God has given the gift of his grace and his acceptance to anyone who will come to terms with it and receive it. That's good news. But like a jewel whose brilliance is best displayed on a dark backdrop, so the message of the cross, as well as the empty tomb, is best understood 
through the darkness of our situation. Like we said before, there is no empty tomb without a bloody cross. And what we're seeing here is that that cross has been bloodied by the death we deserve. John writes in his first letter, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as what? An atoning sacrifice for our sins. What's going on here? You see, we're all headed towards spiritual death, eternal separation from God. Our sin, remember sin is the fact that we've rejected God and decided to take our own counsel and do life our own way without his input. We've become the Lord of our lives. That, that sin that uh, only leads in one direction, and that is spiritual death. It is, it is its inevitable consequence. But God himself came to earth as a human being to bring us humans back to himself. Not only did Jesus teach us the way of the kingdom, he died the death we deserved and then rose from the tomb, breaking our pattern of sin and death, the treadmill that we all as humans find ourselves on. Now you might hear that and say, wait a second, Rob, hold on. What have you or I done to deserve such death? And again, the answer is this. We have sinned in our very nature against the God of the universe by not honoring him as God. It's that simple. I'm not talking about any specific things that I have or haven't done, things I should have done that I left undone or wrong things that I've done. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about our human lot that simply says, for some portion of my life and some portion of about every day, if I'm honest, right, I will choose to do things my way and ignore the God of the universe. This is the lot of all humankind. Now, fortunately, the God of the universe is love, but I'm getting ahead of myself. For right now, let's just remind ourselves, God is life. Sin separates us from God. That's death. Tying sin and death together has been God's motif since the beginning. If you were to flip back into what we call our Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, we'd see that for centuries, God was laying down in his people's mind that sin yields death. That's why whenever he asked someone to come, uh, gave people the chance to come and worship him, they always brought a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. That animal died on their behalf. It was an acknowledgement to the holy God of the universe that my separation from you is because of my sin. That sin leads to death. And I need to acknowledge that fact right here in the first moment of my approaching you, my creator. I need to acknowledge that my separation has equaled death. And I do that in this very real and visceral way. Now, that may seem crude to us, I have to admit, right? If we think back so many millennia ago, but God has been driving a point home since the beginning. Sin yields death. Sin yields death. Sin always yields death. Physical death is nothing compared to spiritual death, which is the real death I'm talking about. The fact that you and I live forever. We are spiritual beings and we don't want to, and God does not want us to live apart from him. That's spiritual death. See, what's the big deal about all this sin stuff? Churches love to talk about that. Preachers love to talk about that. What's, what's the big deal here? Why, why is sin such a big deal? Sin is not small because the one we sin against is not small. Far from small. 
The seriousness of an insult increases with the the dignity and the worth of the one insulted. God is infinitely worthy of respect and admiration and loyalty. Therefore, as one author I read put it, failure to love him is not trivial. It is treason. He's the king of the universe as well as our father. Now, I said God is loving. God is also just. He does not sweep our crimes under the rug of the universe, so to speak, and let them go unaddressed. Remember what I said from the very beginning. He he wanted us to understand that our separation from him, caused by sin, yields death. It would be unjust and unreal even to ignore that reality. And in fact, if God were to just whistle past all that and decide to forget all about it, it would endorse the fact that we've demeaned him. That needs to be accounted for and reckoned and, 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 and um, acknowledged for what it is, not just whistled right past. He would ignore the death that results from our sin. And a lie, a lie then, would reign at the core of reality. That cannot be. So God has to do something about it. We certainly cannot. Around here at Outlook, when someone's getting baptized or placing their their membership in our church family, we have something that we say together. And it begins that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for our sins. What does that mean for us? It means we're on death row. Cosmically speaking, we're on death row and that when we turn to Christ, we realize that the innocent judge who knows our guilt is choosing to take the death sentence for us. As Peter described Jesus, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This one, this pure and holy one, took the beating and the scourging and the ridicule and the thorns and the nails and the cross. What does it mean for us? It means that as we receive this rescue, the full impact of our sin and guilt hits us. We begin to grasp what sent him to the cross, his love for us while we were still sinners, we read in Romans. Christ died for us. We see what we've done. We see who we are, how helpless and hopeless we really are. We realize that what we've been we realize what we've been spared from that Jesus willingly bore the consequence that we deserve. 2 Corinthians puts it like this for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. They're reaching back to some of that Old Testament um, language of sacrifice so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That takes us to our second point. Jesus bore the cross to absorb the death that's coming for us so that we may be redeemed or being made right before God. In Romans chapter 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Everyone say out loud, justified freely. Justified freely. Now, there's a little memory device uh, that I will share with you about how to remember what justified means in this regard. It means just as if I'd never sinned. 
that when I am justified before the Lord, it means somehow, miraculously, amazingly, He, through my faith in Christ and the grace that I've now received through that faith, He now sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Because remember, that sin is what separates me from Him. That separation, He found it intolerable. If you can hear my voice today, whether you're here in this room, you're with us online, or you're watching at some other future date, Know this, God finds his separation from you intolerable. And he has gone to great and tremendous lengths to bridge that gap between you and him. Justified freely, just as if I'd never sinned. Now, with all due respect, if I can say this, that's a crazy concept. This is hard to wrap our minds around. It is one thing to say that I'm guilty of sin and Jesus died the death that I deserve. That's a formula I can understand. I sin, I deserve death. Jesus never sinned. He willingly died in my place anyway. But am I hearing this right? Now God wants to consider me, relate to me and to you as being without sin, as holy with all my stains removed, This is how our holy God can have a relationship with unholy me, through Jesus Christ. This is the way Paul put it to the Colossians. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. That's the cross. To do what? To present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. What does that mean for us? Well, first, I want to just meditate on the fact that it means we are free from accusation. Free from condemnation, as Paul put it to the Romans. Free from that voice that says, yeah, but what about, right? What about that thing you did or that thing you said? Or I bet that's separating you from God. I bet God hasn't let that go. That there is the voice of the accuser. The Bible calls him Satan or the devil. There are voices of accusers in our own life through human means as well. Plenty of voices that will want to come to us and tell us that God has rejected us or we're not good enough. Or that what I'm sharing here today is great for the person next to you, but probably doesn't apply to you. That is the accusation from which Jesus has set us free. What else does it mean? It means the scales have been forever shifted in your favor. What scales am I talking about? I'm talking about the scales in our heads that try to track our good deeds and our bad ones. Anyone got a set of scales like that, or is it only me? We fool ourselves into thinking at times that our good deeds may one day outweigh our bad deeds. They never, ever will. Even our good deeds, so-called, are defective and far from holy or being able to make us worthy of communing with God. We will never behave our way into holiness. I'm never going to come up with a deed good enough that makes God go, oh, whoa, I haven't seen that before. I guess you're in, right? Jesus didn't have to die for you. You're good enough. Mm -mm, Not even close, right? And besides, let's be clear, this is not the way God has chosen to save. And he gets to choose. He gets to choose how he saves you and me. We certainly don't get to choose. The prevailing idea that God's at the top of a mountain and we're all carving our own path to find him. 
No, that doesn't work. God is God. He chooses how he rescues the humankind that he created and loves so much. It's like saying that if I sincerely want to reach you on your cell phone, it doesn't matter which number I punch in if I really, really, really want to talk to you, right? No, it doesn't work that way. God has come to us. We aren't curving our way up the mountain to find him. He has extended himself to us. And it only makes sense, doesn't it? That if there is a God and he loves us, he's done something about it. He's reached out to us. In a sense, you could say, to keep my word picture going, he's called us. We don't have to call him. We just need to pick up the phone. If we're saved from the consequences of our bad deeds, it won't be because they were outweighed by our good deeds. It will be because, as far as God's concerned, they're gone. In Colossians, it says that he forgave all our sins. He blotted out the charges proved against us, the list of commandments which we've not obeyed. And then it says this in Colossians chapter 2. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. To Christ's cross, When Jesus was nailed on that cross, Paul is saying it's as if the list of sins, mine and yours, were nailed up there with him, blotted out by his blood. The charge against us, the record of our wrong, has been taken away and nailed to the cross of Jesus. That's what we read here. And again, let me just encourage you. If you're thinking right now, That's great for others. I bet their list isn't as long as mine and doesn't include some of the things mine includes. And so that's good. But no one's going to want to see my list on that cross. Certainly not the Son of God. Believe me, he knows every little thing. In fact, he knows stuff on that list you haven't even thought of. And he died for all of it. It is all nailed on that cross. It is all a debt that has been canceled. God's way of saving sinners is not by weighing their deeds, but by canceling them. Not by balancing the records, but by blotting them out. This is what Christ suffered and died to accomplish. And to that, we can say thank you. Amen? Why did Jesus bear the cross? To absorb the death that's coming for us. To make us holy and blameless. To redeem us. And where do those two truths lead? They lead to the Father's heart. So we can be reconciled to God. Consider 1 Peter chapter 3. Christ suffered for our sins. That's what we're talking about. Once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners. To do what? To bring you safely home. Home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life by the Spirit. You've got to love that. We, we have a hard time talking about the cross without getting to that empty tomb, right? Very next breath, almost can't help ourselves. There it is. But for right now, we're still going to keep our focus on that cross just a little while longer. Because it's through what Jesus did on the cross, we are reconciled to God. We are brought safely home. I love that. Think of the Garden of Eden. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible for just a brief moment. Eden is not yet restored. We can look around and know that's true, right? Eden was where humans could completely and and, and perfectly commune with God, their creator, before the fall. That's not yet been fully restored. But what made Eden paradise is returning through the cross and the empty tomb. Humans can now be in loving relationship with their creator. That's Christianity. That's the faith that we have in Jesus. It's not dry rituals or dusty religion or or rules. It's it's a relationship. 
That's the heart of our faith, and that's what we get to enjoy. Jesus has brought us back. This is where we now can live. What does that mean for us? It means we're never alone. Someone today might really need to hear that right there. I'm not alone. You might feel alone, or you might feel rejected, or forgotten, or neglected, but you're not. Not by God. You're not alone. Yes, your death sentence and the scales that found you wanting have been obliterated, but that was a means to an end. These are not acts of impersonal charity. They were acts of determined love. God wants us back. And now through Jesus, if we will but want to be wanted and turn to Him, then the cross will have achieved its purpose in my life and in yours. There's this great moment where Jesus turns to His disciples in the crowd around them. And He says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, He's speaking of crucifixion, being up on a cross, right? Above the ground. When I'm lifted up from the earth, a euphemism for crucifixion. When I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself, He said. Jesus knew that as He accepted the nails into His wrists and feet, and let his body be adhered to that rugged cross, he was sending out a signal that would sound throughout all centuries, calling men and women to faith in him. I would draw all people to me, to the place where they could meet God. And friend, I'm inviting you to that place today, the foot of the cross. We read that when Jesus died, the curtain in the temple There in Jerusalem, not far from where he died. He died in Jerusalem. We read that when Jesus died, the temple in the curtain in the temple that separated the most holy place where God was thought to dwell from everything else was torn in two. God would no longer be contained in his relationships with humans. He was unleashed by what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus became now that temple, that passage, that place. Elsewhere in the Gospels, he says, one greater than the temple is now here, speaking of himself. See, Christianity has no geographical center, no Mecca, no Jerusalem, only Jesus. The most holy place now is wherever Jesus is. Now here, now in me and in you. See, the very architecture of our lives is reformed by these truths. We begin to lead cross-formed, cross-shaped, cruciform lives. We're carving out in our day-to-day cruciform spaces, cross-shaped places in our lives to dwell with Jesus. So that now when God looks at me or you, he can see the cross. He sees people shaped by the cross. And as we walk around, we live in the reality of that cross. That's what we do each week in communion. I'd urge you to Go ahead and grab your communion cup and bread here if you grabbed one on your way in as I just turn our thoughts that direction. As we think about the cross and what Jesus asks us to do when we gather by remembering his broken body, to the outside observer of the cross, Christ may look like a victim, the victim of a terrible thing being done to him. But we see clearly that he's the victor. And that it is he who is in control and he is doing the terribly wonderful thing that will save my soul and yours. He said in John chapter 10, this is Jesus talking right here, I lay down my life only to take it up again. 
That's the empty tomb, right? I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Friends, Jesus chose to die. He gave his life. He chose how he would give it. He chose when he would give it. And he knew why he was giving it. I'm looking at why right now. And we just get to receive it, which is what we'll do right now. As we, let's take the bread and remember his body broken for us and eat it in remembrance of him. And as we take the cup, we remember what he said to his disciples that night before he went to the cross. He said, this cup represents a new promise sealed in my blood, a promise of grace and redemption for you. He says, when you drink it, do this also in remembrance of me. And in light of this moment, Paul once wrote that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim his death, the message of the cross, until he comes again. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross. We acknowledge that we could never, ever deserve it. We can only receive it. That your love, Lord, for us, for each and every one of us, not just us generally or theoretically, but us individually and completely, your love for each of us sent you to that cross. You absorbed the death that was bearing down on us like a truck or a train about to flatten us. You stood between us and you absorbed the blow. Lord, you make us right before you. The, the, the miracle, the mind-bending miracle that we could even have a relationship with the holy God, the creator of the universe. It just, it's beyond our comprehension. And yet we also receive it as a gift from you. To be reconciled to you. To walk with you. Lord, all we can do is say thank you. And we do in Jesus' name. Amen.